Good morning from me. My name's Peter. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, good to have you at church. C.S. Lewis um, is a former atheist who became a Christian and became one of the uh, most well-known Christian authors of our time. He wrote a number of books. He wrote non-fiction. He wrote fiction. Probably his most well-known fiction, fictional work is the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, and, and the story is about four children, the Pevensey children, uh, Susan, uh, Lucy, Edmund and Peter. And uh, they stumble across this magical world of Narnia by going through the back of a cupboard. Um, and, and it's an amazing story. The, the first uh, book in the Chronicles of Narnia is The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, where these children go through the wardrobe and find themselves in this big story. Uh, to cut it all, a uh, long story short, a war is about to happen. Um, one of the children in the process kind of turns to the dark side. Aslan ends up getting him back, but then Aslan has to give his life up on the stone table to get the traitor back. But then Aslan doesn't stay dead. He comes back to life. He arrives at the war at just the right time. They win the day. The battle's won. And at the end, they're at Care Paravel, this castle, and the four children have been crowned kings and queens. But amidst the celebrations and the party, Aslan slips out. And this is how Lewis puts it in, uh, in the book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. But amidst all these rejoicings, Aslan himself quietly slipped away. And when the kings and queens noticed that he wasn't there, they said nothing about it. For Mr. Beaver had warned them. He'll be coming and going, he had said. One day you'll see him and another you won't. He doesn't like being tied down. And of course, he has other countries to attend to. It's quite all right. He'll drop in. He'll often drop in. Only you mustn't press him. He's wild, you know, not like a tame lion. See, in the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, the lion represents Jesus. And, and what um, is being said here by Mr. Beaver is that Aslan shows up sometimes and other times he doesn't. He's not there. And this hiddenness of Aslan, which is representative of, of the hiddenness of God, shows up quite often in, uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia. And as some of you might be aware of a philosophical argument that uh, opponents to Christianity use uh, about the hiddenness of God. Uh, it's not a very good one, but it's an argument people use nonetheless. Uh, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the very real human experience of not being able to see God, not being able to find him. The experience of him being absent at the most important of times. Where are you? Why aren't you doing anything? Do you even care? Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why does it seem when things are at their worst that he's not around? You do everything and you just can't find him. You may not have known it when you first became a Christian, those who are Christians here today, but signing up to being a Christian means signing up to seasons where you need to grapple with God being silent or invisible. It's not a part of any church's sales pitch, right? It's like come and follow Jesus and have seasons where you just can't find him. Times where you just can't see him. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You've, you've had these seasons. Maybe you're in one right now. Maybe you're younger and you haven't had one of these seasons yet. And if you're younger and you haven't had one of these seasons, I would say to you, listen well and take note of what we're going to be looking at today because they will happen. You will have seasons like this and I don't mean that to be a pessimist it's just I just want to be honest with you I want to be honest with you no one who follows God is exempt if if you're human you experience it I was talking with a lady this week and she wasn't a Christian and her her friend her dear friend has got cancer aggressive cancer and she's she's probably dying and neither of them are Christians and one of the things that she said to me about her friend was she said, my friend doesn't even believe in God, but she's angry with him. You see that? 
And I'm not saying that in any kind of critical way. I'm saying that because that's the gritty end, isn't it? Or the gritty point or the pinch point for everyone in a world where bad stuff happens. She was going through the same and she is going through a similar experience even though she's not a Christian. passage we're going to look at in John today is one of the most overt passages in the Bible about God's hiddenness. And that's why we're looking at it today. It's, it's, we're going to spend between now and the start of the Easter series the next four weeks, including today, looking at John chapter 11. It is a magnificent narrative. And uh, we're just going to hang out in it and uh, it's, it's going to bless us so much. So uh, I want to read the section for today. So if you've got your Bibles with, there, with you there, I'd love for you to open them up to John chapter 11. This is the whole story of uh, the death and resurrection of Lazarus, but we're not getting to that bit today. We're just doing the first bit today. John chapter 11, verse 1 to 16. Read from the NIV version. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus was now lay sick was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and and yet you were going back. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they will see by this world's light. He's really just saying there's work to be done and I haven't been killed on the cross yet. We need to go and get that work done while there's daylight. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, gutsy Thomas, is not the doubting version of Thomas, this is the gutsy Thomas, let us also go that we may die with him. Today we're going to look at three things. Uh, We're going to look at bad things, uh, Jesus is hidden, and seeing Jesus. Let's kick in with the bad things. And I'm just going to roll with the narrative here uh, for the first part. We'll just take it one step at a time. Here's here's your opening line. (laughs) Now a man named Lazarus was sick. Now, I, I've been reading this passage over and over this week. And the first time that I read it this week, I was just hooked on this line. A man named Lazarus was sick. <laughs> you know why? Well, partly because it's a good way to tell a story. Start with the problem. Uh, and this story bears all the hallmarks of a good story. Straight up, there's an opponent. It's, it's sickness. It's, it's getting to Lazarus. And, and a hero's going to come along and kind of save the day and... And so from your first verse, it's kind of like, bam, you know, like a right into it, right? Uh, that, that's kind of one thing I think that grabbed me, but, but it was more than that. Uh, I just hung out on the aberration that sickness is. You know, we, we get used to sickness, don't we? Just being around the place. It happens to us. It happens to people around us. We've got a heap of people in the church here who work in hospitals. Um, You need to know that in a fallen world, sickness is normal, but that is not the world that God created. The world that God created, sickness isn't meant to happen. Sickness is a very visible fracture of God's good creation. And and so you do well um, not to meditate on it too long, perhaps, but just to stop and just go, this is... I mean, you read this story, you just go, that's not meant to happen. Lazarus is not meant to be sick. <laughs> now, it's not just a cold, right? Lazarus obviously is, is very near to death. 
a very serious sickness and, he, and indeed he does die before Jesus even gets there and I don't know about you but I'll tell you something I've never gotten used to funerals never it doesn't matter how old the person is they, they always feel jarring to me I kind of sit there and I go this is not right this is this is not how it's meant to happen this is not what's meant to work it's even at 90 or 92 when someone's being buried I go this is not right and the thing that you see here in this, this story here is, is um, the, the one who is sick is not a number or a male or female in a ward somewhere. They've got a name. Have a name. Lazarus. <laughs> you know, um, the same name as Lazarus in Hebrew is Eliezer. Do you know what it means? Uh, God, has, God has helped. That's, what that, uh, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, and, and it even goes further than that. It, it's not even that it's a person that's got a name, but it's a person with a name who is loved, right? Uh, this is really important. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. You're going to see that in the next chapter, in chapter 12. They loved Jesus. Right, um, and and you can see the message there that they they send to Jesus. Right, Lord, the one you love is sick. So so you got as a family matter. Right, you got you got Mary and you got Martha and you got Lazarus, um, brothers and sisters, brother and sisters. Uh, obviously, the family is very close to Jesus. You've got Mary coming up in chapter twelve. You're going to see the account of her uh, pouring perfume on Jesus's feet and wiping them with her hair. And these are the people that are sending word to Jesus. And isn't that a beautiful way to say it? They, they could have said it the same way as verse 1, right? Lazarus is sick. But how do they say it? The one you love is sick. The one he loves. The one he loves so much. Or uh, another way to put it is your dear friend is sick. Could you imagine someone sending a message to Jesus like that about you? Can you imagine that? It probably happens. There's probably, when you're sick, if you've been sick, there's probably been people praying for you and I guess probably that there might be someone out there who's prayed for you who said, the one that you love is sick, your dear friend. These are people who know Jesus, right? These are people who Jesus knows, up close and personal. And that, why are they telling Jesus? Because something bad has happened and Jesus needs to know. It's, it's that simple. You know, and sometimes I think we can make prayer too complex. It's like if something bad happens, you should just tell Jesus about it, right? Now, it turns out, we're going to find out down the track, that Jesus knows everything about what's going on anyway in this story. But still, you should tell Jesus. And I would say that to you. If something bad happens, tell Jesus. <laughs> like, it's, it's quite simple. And, and you kind of go, well, okay, what, what kind of bad thing will qualify? And like any bad thing, just anything. And wouldn't that be good if we were a kind of people where something bad happened and we just, we just tell Jesus? That's, first thought is, I need to tell Jesus. Number two, first thing was bad things. Second thing here, Jesus is hidden. You're going to look at verse five to seven here. And if you're anything like me, you have a car accident in your head when you read this, right? You just kind of go, man, I think two things just collided in my head, right? And here's, here's the two things. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Do you see what I'm saying? That, that, that's a car accident, isn't it? Now, we as Christians, we love the good news and we love hope. And I'm all for good news and life and hope, and I've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks, right? Um, but sometimes we don't like sitting in the tension of the story as much as we could. 
You know, there's, there's this tendency inside of us to not... We don't want things to be left unfinished for very long, so we like to jump to the end. It's kind of like when you're reading a novel and you've got that temptation in the middle of the really difficult bit in, in the story where you just go, I just want to go to the last couple of pages and just see what happens so I can chill a little bit, right? You know, you look at Easter and Easter's coming up and it's like Good Friday is absolutely brutal and Easter Sunday's awesome and there's a, there's a tendency with... Uh, with Christians sometimes that I've seen, it's like, let's just get to Sunday. But who knows that the amount of time in between Friday and Sunday must have felt like an eternity to the disciples. That, that's awkward, right? And, and it's not like they were euphoric about and triumphant about the fact that Jesus is about to be raised from the dead. He just, the one that they followed and that they gave their lives to just got slaughtered. And it would have felt like this for Mary and Martha, wouldn't it? <laughs> what do you reckon they're doing? Well, they send this messenger. And in between when the messenger leaves and Jesus arrives, they nurse their brother as he dies. You know, and, and they, they send word to Jesus. And you've got to feel this, like he's nowhere to be found. You know, you, you could come back and you just go, well, Jesus said a whole bunch of things in verse 1 to 16 about his plan and what he was going to do. And I would say, yeah, but who did he say those to? Who did he say it to? The disciples. He didn't say it to Mary and Martha. What are Mary and Martha doing while he's saying this stuff to, to the disciples? Well, they're not on the phone. It's not Facebook Live. They're, they're nursing their brother as he dies in front of them and, and burying him. Did Jesus tell the messenger he was going to hang for a couple of days? Did Mary and Martha know about that? I don't think so. It certainly doesn't look like it when you see their responses when he arrives. Regardless of it all, they sent word to Jesus, the one who could help them, and he didn't make it. Then they nursed their brother, Lazarus until he died and buried him and I've got written in my notes here stop because if we go on too quickly we miss the significance of this this is gritty right you understand what I mean this is gritty see I start thinking about um, stuff like this. Um, I wonder what they were thinking and talking about in this process. The two, the two sisters. Uh, there could have been a bunch of things that they were saying, but here's here's a question that I reckon they would have asked each other. It's this one: Where is Jesus? Had I known that that's something they would have asked? Because if you look at their responses down the, down the chapter there in verse 21 and 32, Martha, when Jesus shows up, he says, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Mary, when she meets up with Jesus in verse 32, says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you? Now, they're not rude about it, but that's the question I think that they were asking. And I would just ask you at this point in time... Um, do you know what this is like? Something really gritty is going down. Something really hard. And Jesus is nowhere to be seen. He's not doing anything. You know, one of the uh, common arguments against Christianity by opponents outside of the faith, um, I kind of mentioned a little bit of that kind of stuff before, is uh, how can a good and loving, all-powerful God allow evil and suffering? Right? And there are good answers to this question. But I want to say this to you this morning, that it's not just a question for people outside the faith. It's a question for all of us. It's a question for us on the inside as well. Remember um, my first ever counsellee was a, um, a Christian lady, a very long-term counsellee she was, 
she wasn't suicidal, but she didn't want to live anymore. Uh, she had employed all sorts of methods to try and handle the pain that she felt inside of her. Uh, she was a Christian, so at a very deep kind of level inside of her, she wanted to honour God. Uh, and in one of the counselling sessions that I had early on with her, she, um, she asked the question, she goes, uh, how could God let this mental anguish that I have happen to me? How could he let it just keep going? Why, why is this happening to me? You know what I did? I launched in. I thought, I have got some good theological answers to this. All right? And I've got a few philosophical ones I'm going to throw in as well. So I launched into this little response to her question. And uh, it didn't help much. <laughs> and um, shortly after that, I had a counselling supervision appointment with my supervisor and I was telling her about this lady that I was working with and the things that I said. And she told me, she said, Peter, I don't think she was asking that question. She said it sounded like she was asking that question, but what she was really asking is how could she continue to exist in the midst of the pain that she was feeling? That's what she was asking. Do you see, do you see the difference? The, the, uh, the opponents of Christianity that, that, that use um, suffering and trouble and God's not intervening in it, they use that as an, as, as an evidence for the fact that they think God doesn't exist. <laughs> but when we struggle with it on the inside, it doesn't question God's existence for us, but it does question the presence, the loving presence of God. Here's the way that I'll put it. For those outside the faith, the problem of evil questions the existence of God. For those inside the faith, the problem of evil questions the loving presence of God. You see that? And regardless of whether you're outside or inside today, the basic question surrounds God's goodness. Does he care? Do I matter to him? Is he even watching? I'm stuck. How do I get out? What is he doing? ever asked any of these i have more than once have i ever asked them since i've been a pastor you better believe i have absolutely don't become a superhuman when you become a pastor right i'll tell you something that happens when you become a pastor all your weak buttons get pushed that's what happens so uh, that's why you should become a pastor there's your selling point i'm not going to have anyone to take over from this place when we're gone. Sorry, Pete, it's, it's you and Tom and I and that's it, mate. And Doug now, actually. Doug, it's great to have Doug on board. I want to just give you a few things, I think, that uh, can obscure God, um, and can obscure our uh, side of, of Jesus, and I'm just going to work through them quickly. Uh, physical pain. You know, there's... A connection between our body and our non-physical heart and so what we do in our non-physical heart affects our body and what happens in our body affects our non-physical heart uh, and, and sharp pain sharp physical pain can be so blinding can't it so blinding uh, it's hard to think about anything else all you want to do is just stop it can someone just please stop this i don't care about anything else i just want to get out Perhaps there's some of you who have got long, longer-term, low-level pain, and, and that's kind of a different animal. It's not kind of the blinding sharpness, but it's a long-term kind of numbing kind of effect of it. It's kind of death by a thousand cuts, and, and it just can make it really hard to see Jesus. The second one there, emotional pain, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking something more in the mental health capacity, depression, shame, anxiety, you know, I've seen it over and over that people with uh, emotional pain uh, often find it harder to handle than physical pain. The third one there, grief, you know, either your own or someone else's. You know, grief is about loss. Someone or something you love is gone and when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to see anything other than what you've lost You know, and, and sometimes you can get into that space and, and it's like God could have done something about it and he didn't. 
So either I don't want anything to do with him or he's disappeared. The third one there, relational, fourth one there, relational hurt. Perhaps people came after you or they did something to hurt you and you can't get past it. It does say something about them, but it also says something about you and it says something about God. And your truster is damaged. <laughs> Not your thruster, your truster. The bit inside of you that trusts is damaged. And so... God's either far away or he's close and you keep your distance. Just for good measure, I threw in the last two. Um, Laziness can stop you from seeing God. You know, you you don't get to see God if you don't put any effort in. It's, it's, uh, It's like any relationship. If you don't put some effort into a relationship, you won't have it. You know, if you don't ever talk to him or listen to him, don't be surprised if you don't see him you don't really know him and here's the difficulty sometimes with people who have been lazy in their relationship with God is sometimes and I've seen this that something brutal comes along and takes them out and it's kind of like they're in like the weakest position to have something like that happen to them and so they spiral and and I do everything I can to help and I'm not saying this to be critical of them at all I just think it's a that is like a serious pinch point. Like if you've not really lent into God and you haven't gotten to know him and then something really tragic and hard comes your way, that's going to be really, really hard to handle. It, it can really send you for a spin. And the last one here uh, is sin. Uh, and that's a well-known mechanism. Um, Prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 59, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you know, if you, if, if you just keep going after something and, and it's something that God doesn't want you to go after, you're just not going to see him very well. You're not going to see him very clearly. You know, we, we get into these places. I hope I'm speaking for someone here. We get into these places and find that God doesn't always bust in and fix the problem. You know what I'm talking about? And to be honest, it's a bit disappointing, isn't it? We, we get into these pain places, these difficult places, and it's like we want Jesus to show up, click his fingers, and for everything to be all right. Some of you are probably going, Man, how's he going to dig himself out of this one? I'll probably just cry. Then you all go, oh, that's lovely. <laughs> or maybe not. Or you go, I'm not coming back. But just take a step back um, for me just for a minute because uh, I want you to see something that's going on here. And I'm going to ask you a question, but I don't want you to answer it because it's going to go in a different direction to what you realise, all right? So don't, don't answer it out loud, I would suggest. And just be careful not to answer it too quickly. Here's, here's a question here. Um, who, who is Jesus? Is he a machine? Is he an animal? Is he an inanimate object? No. And we've known since day dot pretty much that Jesus is a person, right? Now, what, what do you call an association between two persons? A relationship. That's what you call it. All right, you, you're tracking with me? Uh, you call Jesus is a person... And we have a relationship with a person, right? And the relationship is the association that we have with him. Now, when you think about what kinds of things happen in a relationship, things like this happen. Enjoyment of one another happens. Knowing and being known happens. Moving towards one another in love happens and so on, right? But let me tell you something that happens in a relationship when you're doing a relationship with a person that you may not have thought that much about. Um, waiting happens, in relationships <laughs> waiting um, what am I talking about let me um, give an example my boys are giving me permission to say this this is actually in my book um, maybe years ago uh, one of my sons did something grievous to his brother right 
don't remember what it was, but I just remember this moment just grievously hurt his brother. His brother was really hurt, right? So we worked, Ange and I worked with the, uh, the boy who had sinned against his brother and talked with him and said, so come on, you're actually going to need to come and say sorry to your brother and ask him to forgive you. So the moment comes where it's, it's the time for that and he kind of comes in and he says to his brother, um, I'm sorry for doing such and such, would you please forgive me? And his brother says, no. And the, the boy who had sinned was horrified, right? He's like, and, and he, then he kind of came out and he goes, yeah, but mum and dad have taught us that you have to forgive, right? And, and do, you know, do you know what we said to, to the boy at this point in time is we said, look, you, you hurt him and you're just going to need to wait until he's ready to forgive you, right? Now, that is an example where you need to wait. Now, the question becomes, like, what do you do when you're waiting? Well, if the boy who sinned against his brother goes away and just goes, blow you, I'm not going to have anything to do with you until you forgive me, that's just going to make things spiral. What does he need to do? He needs to stay relationally connected to his brother as best as he can until his brother's ready to forgive him. If you're in any friendship, any relationship, if you're married, you have to wait for the other person to forgive you, don't you? You have to wait for the other person sometimes to understand things. Sometimes they need to wait for you to understand something. Maybe you have to wait for them to grow up some way. Sometimes they have to wait for you to grow up. Sometimes when you're in a friendship or a relationship with someone, you have to wait until the other person understands what really matters to you. It just takes a little while. And I want to say to you this morning, you see this the whole way through the Bible, that God is a person, he's always up to stuff, and there's often times where humanity needs to wait. And I just want to say to you, it's, it's, I understand, it's really, really hard to wait, especially when you're in pain. But this just is part of doing a relationship with a person. And the question then becomes, like, if we, if we have to wait, because Mary and Martha had to wait. If we have to wait, what... What do we do while we're waiting? Well, you stay in relationship, you keep trusting, you stay connected, you hang in, and, and we're going to see this next week. Mary and Martha actually do pretty well, I think, given the circumstances. Why are you able to wait? Well, I think this next thing is really, really critical. Uh, it's because you know he's not arbitrary or insane and he has his reasons. God is not random. He's not a random lunatic that just does random stuff and hurts people. You know that, right? But you don't always know the why. <laughs> why is something happening? And I'll tell you something, if you... And this is kind of like, I'm just being honest with you, if you go looking through the scriptures at biblical stories where God gives an answer to the why a bad thing has happened, you'll be very disappointed because a lot of the time he doesn't. I don't know. I don't know why, but I know he's not arbitrary or insane. I know when I look at him, I go, and, and I see the work that he's done on the cross, I just go, he is not a random idiot, a sociopath. He's not, he's not any of those things. He must have some good reasons. And here's the other thing I would throw out to you. Is the same person that waited another two days is, uh, is this person. Um, he's the one that knows what it's like not to get the answer you want from God. Luke 22 verse 42, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. He didn't get the answer he wanted then, did he? Got the cross... He's also the one that knows what it's like to be in a place where God is obscured. You can't see him. Doors of your heart, Matthew 27, 46, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So what's my encouragement to you? Do your best to hang in 
and wait. Talk to him about uh, the stuff that you're going through because he gets you. Bad things, Jesus is hidden and seeing Jesus. This is verse 4 to 14. Here's, here's the story. Uh, Lazarus is sick. Uh, Jesus' initial comment is when Jesus, Lazarus is sick, uh, but then Lazarus dies and it becomes the trigger for Jesus and his disciples to travel to where Mary, Martha and Lazarus are. Uh, along the way, uh, in this story here, they're having this conversation about going um, and um, there's a possibility of Jesus being stoned. He says, I'm going to wake Lazarus up. His disciples think that Lazarus is just physically sleeping and they go, he's going to be fine. And Jesus goes, no, I'm not talking about physical sleeping. I'm talking about the fact that he's dead now. They still don't get it. Um, and, and Thomas kind of says quite boldly at the end there, it's like, or toward the end, he goes, let's, let's just go and die with him. And it's honestly, it's pretty comical. And, and those who have been at Restoration Church for a bit know that there's these disconnect conversations that Jesus has through the book of John where he's just on a different level to everyone else. Um, but I want you to see something here. And what I want you to see is I want you to see the main battleground for anyone who has ever experienced the hiddenness of God, right? This is really, really important. This is the main battleground. And, and you know what the battle is? It's a battle to see Jesus. That's what it is. You look at what Jesus is up to in his waiting, this is what he's up to. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that the son, that, so that God's son may be glorified through it. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. I want you to notice two elements that are going on here. The first one is in verse four on the left. What is it? It's God's glory. What's glory? Glory is beauty and excellence on display. It's, it's not only um, res reserved for God. People can do kind of things that have some glory about them, but God's in a whole different category. So what, what is the purpose of Jesus' delay? The purpose of Jesus' delay is so that his glory and his excellence would be on display. Now, for some of you, if you're anything like me, you kind of go, well, that, that seems a bit harsh, <laughs> doesn't it? Um, this, this statement comes like before he delays for two days. And, and it looks like Jesus is self-centered and he wants to look good at the expense of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, which is not cool, right? Because they're in a whole bunch of pain and it's like, here's Jesus in front of the mirror, combing his hair so that he looks good in front. Do, do you get what I'm saying? It's like, oh. But here's the thing, you can't, you can't go there. And the reason why you can't go there is that John won't let you because John has been at pains in this chapter to communicate to you how much he loves Mary, Martha and Lazarus. So it's, it's not about Jesus engaging in self-love at this point at the expense of everyone else. You just can't, you can't do it. His love and their love for him just comes out over and over and over. So what, what's going on here? Well, here's what's going on. Verse 14 to 15 as well. Now, why is he glad he wasn't there when he died? Because now they're going to see him and believe in him. You see that? That is better than Lazarus not dying. I want you to see here that God's glory and our good come together in the person of Jesus. In Jesus, God's glory and our good coalesce. The ultimate good for everyone there is to see Jesus, not just have the problem resolved, even though they do. You see that? God's glory and our good are connected You know, when, when Jesus gets obscured in our lived experience, our, our focus easily becomes one of three things. 
Why is this happening to me? Now, I think that's a good question. I think that's a really good question. Why is God doing this? Why is God allowing this? Do you know what this is? This is a cry for there to be some kind of sense in the pain that's going on for us. And the reason why it makes so much sense to us is because evil just likes to wreck stuff for no good reason. It corrupts stuff. And and none of us can bear the futility of living a life where evil comes in and wrecks stuff for no good reason. And so to ask the question, why is this happening to me or why is God doing this? That's a good question. Many have asked the question. You will find many of them asking the question in the Bible. One of the ones I love is Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Go and read Judges chapter 6. You know, there's, I think it's the Midianites and they just keep coming and raiding the Israelites. They, they take all of their food. They take all their animals. And the, the people cry out to God for help. And this angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. And Gideon's first question is, why is God letting this happen to us? Now, I think you probably, when you're talking to God, you just need to be a little bit careful about your tone of voice when you ask that, right? But it's a a fine question. What does the angel of the Lord say, God's direct representative to Gideon? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and rescue him. He doesn't get, he doesn't answer the question. doesn't answer the question. Here's the second. Second category up on the screen there. Um, When Jesus is obscured from us, um, we can just be asking the question, how do I make it go away? That's a good one too, right? That's a good question. Like, who likes pain? Usually, if people like pain, there's a little bit of a problem there, right? How do I make it go away? That's, that's a good one. Um, what's, what's the answer? Is there, is there something that I need to know to make it go away? And the last one there, who, who hasn't been asking themselves that question? Uh, how do I minimise the pain? Why wouldn't you want it? But here's... Here's what I want to say to you that runs over the top of that. The the most important thing, and this is not a statement saying that these things are unimportant. This is a statement of priority. The most important thing for you is to see Jesus. Okay? It just is. And what Jesus is saying here to the disciples is that very thing. Right? The most important thing for the disciples, is to see Jesus for who he is. The most important thing for Mary and Martha is to see Jesus for who he is. The most important thing for Lazarus is to see Jesus for who he is. C.S. Lewis's second Chronicles of Narnia book is called Prince Caspian. And in this book, the four Pevensey children find themselves back in Narnia after being away for 1,300 years, Narnian time. Um, What has happened is Susan left her... uh, her horn uh, in, in, in Narnia and someone, and it's a horn that blows for help and someone's blown that horn and they've gone, I think, from being on a railway station to being back in Narnia. Um, the place has been taken over by bad guys and the rightful heir to the throne, Prince Caspian, has been pushed out. The Narnians who have been pushed out with Caspian blow Susan's horn, as I said, um, and, and, and they kind of end up back in there. They're in Narnia uh, soon after their arrival, they rescue a dwarf named Trumpkin who is about to be drowned by soldiers. Um, he tells them what has happened to Narnia and they start on a journey. They don't know where they are. They have no instructions and Aslan's not anywhere near them. They conclude, we have to help Caspian. They decide to head downstream because it's the easiest and it's a somewhat dangerous trip. The youngest of the four, Lucy gets a glimpse of Aslan while they're walking down the stream. And I want to uh, read a conversation with her uh, uh, brothers and sister. Look, 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 cried Lucy. Where, what, asked everyone. The lion, said Lucy. 
Aslan himself, didn't you see? His face had changed, her face had changed completely and her eyes shone. Do you really mean, began Peter, where did you think you saw him, asked Susan. Don't talk like a grown-up, said Lucy, stamping her foot. I didn't think I saw him, I saw him. Where, Lou? asked Peter. Right up there between those mountain ashes. No, this side of the gorge and up, not down. Just the opposite of the way you want to go and... And he wanted us to go where he was, up there. How do you know that was what he wanted, asked Edmund. He, I, I just know, said Lucy, by his face. Isn't that beautiful? The others all looked at each other in puzzled silence. You know, in, in this story, Lucy is the one who sees Aslan the most. But to everyone else, and even to Lucy often, Aslan's hidden. Lucy gets outvoted. And they keep going the way that they think is best. They get ambushed, they uh, become tired and they settle in and sleep for the night. But in the middle of the night, Lucy is awakened and she sees Aslan among the trees. She runs to him and has a conversation with him. This, uh, this is the last part of it. If you go back to the others now and wake them up, this is Aslan talking, and tell them what, that you've seen me again and that you must all get up at once and follow me, what will happen? There's only one way of finding out. (laughs) Do you mean that is what you want me to do, gasped Lucy? Yes, little one, said Aslan. Will the others see you too, asked Lucy. Certainly not at first, said Aslan. Later on, it depends. But they won't believe me, said Lucy. It doesn't matter, said Aslan. Oh dear, oh dear, said Lucy. And I was so pleased at finding you again. And I thought you'd let me stay. And I thought you'd come roaring in and frighten all the enemies away. Do you see? This is what we've been talking about. Like last time. And now everything is going to be horrid. You felt that? It is hard for you, little one, said Aslan. But things never happen the same way twice. It has been hard for us all in Narnia before now. Read this. Lucy buried her head in his mind to hide from his face. But there must have been magic in his mind. She could feel lion strength going into her. Quite suddenly she sat up. I'm sorry, Aslan, she said. I'm ready now. Old Testament tells the story of, um, of Job. And um, it's one of... Um, the stories that is most frequently told, even outside of uh, Christianity, about suffering and, and God's connection with it. You know, these tragic things happen to uh, Job and he, he doesn't, for a while at least, he doesn't get any answers. And uh, through the book you can see his friends trying to help him and his friends are not very much help at all. And you can see Job's response to it. And one of the things that Job says is, I, I just want to state my case before him. And, and you see that uh, over and over. He just wants his day with God. He gets his day and God opens the conversation by asking 50 plus questions in a row that he can't answer. And do you know something? Job never asked his questions. He got his opportunity and he declined it. Do you know why? Because he didn't need to anymore. Why Why didn't he need to? Because he got to be with God. Because he saw God. And it's not because the questions don't matter. They are important questions. They just weren't that important anymore. And see, it's the person of God that answers the question, not the answer. You know, we all want an answer to stuff that's going on. 
Your answer is a person, not an answer. And you see that in the book of Job. You can see that here, right? She didn't get her answer. But she got to be with Aslan and that was enough, right? And people say to me sometimes, I've got a bunch of questions that I want to ask God when I get to heaven. I used to say that. But now I think, you probably won't. You probably won't. And it's not because he wouldn't have a good answer. And it's not because they're not good questions. You just get into his presence and you'll go, it doesn't really matter that much anymore. You know, if you're right in the middle of something or you've been through something and God's been hidden and obscured, that's the only thing that matters. And I'm not telling you that because that's right. I'm telling you that because it's true. It's the only thing that matters. And so the fight for you, the fight for me, it's not about getting our questions answered. It's not even ultimately about reducing the pain or making the thing go away that's happening to us. It's about seeing Jesus. You're not enlisting a battle. That's the battle you need to be fighting first and foremost. Because the presence of Jesus... Who knows this to be true? The presence of Jesus gives us lion's strength, doesn't it? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And you might even be in the middle of something and you go, I can't, I can't see him. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what he's up to. But I have had a time. <laughs> I have been in places like this before, right? And this is... This is the wisdom that comes with the walk of faith. I have been in places like this before where I have not been able to see him. And I have found him and nothing went away and it was totally different. Do you know what I'm saying? You've got to draw from those walks of faith. You know, we need other people to help us see him too. He's pretty blinding. Let me pray. Jesus, we need to see you. I'm not talking about seeing you physically. We need to see you with the eyes of our heart. We need to know you. We need to know that you're near. Whether we're in lush pastures or beside still waters or the valley of the shadow of death uh, we need to know that you're near I want to pray for anyone today who's struggling to see you I know people are in those places today I pray that you'll break through for them that you turn up that you help them to see you Help them, help us all to, uh, to patiently trust you. You are good. And you're not a psycho. We, uh, we love you. Amen.